Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Find in your copy of God's Word, uh, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 in the Old Testament as we continue our teaching series, uh, Welcome to Babylon. But before we jump into that, uh, let me just tell you that I have done some deep, deep scientific research this week, and uh, I have discovered the top seven candies, most popular candies of 2022. Do you know what, want to know what they are? Number seven is candy corn. Now, I know candy corn, it's either you love it or you hate it. It's kind of like the Dallas Cowboys. It's just, it, there is no middle ground, but candy corn is number seven. Number six, Hershey Kisses. Number five, Sour Patch Kids. Number four, Starburst, number three, M&M's, number two, Skittles, and number one, everyone's favorite, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Uh, Those are the top seven candies of 2022. Now, Arkansas evidently is on its own program because Arkansas's favorite candy is Butterfinger candy bars. Can I get an amen from all you Butterfinger people out there, okay? And, And evidently, Jolly Ranchers is number two. I know there's some folks in here that like Jolly Ranchers. So all that to say, what does that have to do with our message today? Absolutely nothing other than the fact that I'm just reminding you to come on out once again to our trunk or treat this afternoon from four to six. We look forward to seeing you and, uh, and your loved ones there. So we are again continuing in our teaching series, Welcome to Babylon. As you know by now, the general premise is that God's people formerly lived in Jerusalem, in Judah, uh, where their culture, faith, and values formed the dominant worldview. Uh, but then God took them to Babylon a country, a kingdom, a setting where everything that they held near and dear was marginalized, criticized, and demonized. All right? and, and how God's word to them constantly was, how are you going to thrive in that setting? Thrive spiritually. Same thing for us today. As Jesus-following people, building our lives on the word of God, our values, our faith, our convictions are increasingly marginalized, criticized, and demonized in this world How are we going to thrive? And that's really what the series is all about. Now today in Daniel chapter 6, I've got a message for you, specifically for us as a church, which I believe is going to be the most important message in this series for us as a church. Certainly the messages that came before this had some great stuff for us as individuals and as families, but today the challenge goes to us as a church in the form of a question that I have asked repeatedly in the past. And that question is this, is Crossgate Church going to be a church that prays, or is Crossgate going to be a praying church? That's the operational question for this morning, and as we get into Daniel chapter 6, the first thing we're going to talk about is Daniel the man of God. Daniel the man of God, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at several characteristics from Daniel 6. Now just as backstory, remember Daniel chapter 6, we see Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, he was a teenager, probably 14 to 16 years old. Daniel chapter 6, now he's an elderly man, probably about 80 years of age, give or take a few years. He's an elderly man, he's been serving God faithfully in Babylon for decades, and now he finds himself in a situation where he has been made one of the key bureaucrats in the land. There was the king, and then there was three sub-leaders, Daniel was one of them, And then there was 120 sub-bureaucrats under that. 
And what happened in Daniel 6 is we see that all of these other leaders started getting jealous of all the favor that God was giving Daniel with the king. And they started plotting against Daniel. Now, all of you who have grandkids or maybe kids who have watched Veggie Tales, a little song is probably popping into your mind right now. Oh no, what are we going to do? The king loves Daniel more than me and you. Anybody watch Veggie? Come on, am I, am I the only person here that watched? Yes, I see a few hands out there. Okay, y'all know that song. And that's exactly what's taking place. So let's consider in Daniel chapter 6 some of those characteristics of Daniel as the man of God. The first of which is that Daniel was a spirit-filled man. All right, beginning verse 1 of Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account. And then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So here's why I say that Daniel was a spirit-filled man. If you look in verse 3, I'm reading from the ESV up here, but the ESV says that Daniel had an excellent spirit, okay, an excellent spirit. The NIV says he, had, he has an extraordinary spirit. Uh, the New American Standard said he had exceptional qualities. Now, those are all different translations, and quite honestly, I'm probably less than thrilled about those because they make it sound more like Daniel went to a TED Talk on being an excellent team player in the workplace or, or something along those lines, right? Whereas I believe the intent of the Scripture is to say that Daniel was a spirit filled, a man filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, why do you say that, Pastor Phil? Well, for one thing, in the chapter that came before this, in chapter 5, there's a verse where King Belshazzar, who was the king at the time, said this. And then Daniel was brought in before King Belshazzar, and he said to Daniel, I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods... Now, understand, this is a pagan king. He didn't exactly have his theological ducks in a row, but he noticed something going on in Daniel. He said, the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. The other interesting thing I see in the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint, uh, in Daniel 6, verse 3, it's actually translated, the, spirit, the Holy Spirit was in him, uh, which is kind of interesting when you consider the context and, and the close proximity to the time when the original was written. All that to say, I believe that Daniel was a spirit-filled man. And, and remember, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only came upon certain people at certain times for specific purposes. In the New Testament, of course, anyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ has the indwelling Holy Spirit. But back in those days, to say that Daniel was a spirit-filled man, that was kind of a big deal. All right, so that was one of the major qualities of Daniel. He was a spirit-filled man. Here's another one. Daniel was a blameless man. Let's consider Daniel the blameless man, beginning in verse 4. Watch this. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So now we see that Daniel is a blameless man, which, by the way, if you look at uh, verse 22 of chapter 6, Daniel himself, he describes himself as being blameless. All right, now, he wasn't sinless, okay? There's, there's nobody who doesn't sin. 
I mean, nobody that, that's sinless, okay? But, but there were people who were blameless. Say, what's the difference? Blamelessness is when there is an authenticity in you, both inside and out, both public and private, where you're pretty much the exact same person the whole time. Doesn't mean you don't sin, but I tell you, when you do, you quickly want to make it right with God or with people around you. That, that's what generates this, this quality of blamelessness. And there was a, you could just Google the word blameless in the Old Testament. There was a high premium placed on blamelessness among God's people. So, so there, there is a consistency and authenticity. I mean, everybody can do a good deed every now and again. But what does that really mean about what's going on in their life? For example, I, just, I heard a story just the other day. This is a true story. Happened out in Fresno, California, not long ago. So a guy was taking his date to a fried chicken restaurant. And they went to the drive-thru, and I guess they were going to go have a picnic or whatever. So they go to the drive-thru at the fried chicken restaurant, and they get their bucket, and they get their sides, and they get their drinks, and off they go. Well, not long after that, the guy realized he opened the bucket, and he realized that the manager of the restaurant had accidentally put the day's cash profits in that bucket. I guess he was going to carry the bucket to the bank and make the deposit but he gave the guy the wrong bucket. And so he immediately turned his car around, went back to the fried chicken restaurant, went inside and said, hey, sir, I, I think there's been a terrible mistake. And he, he just pushed the bucket across the counter to the manager. Well, you can imagine the manager just said, oh, thank goodness. Man, I was, I was freaking out. I was, I was so stressed. This is a I can't tell you how much I appreciate your good deed. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your kindness. Man, you need some recognition. I'm going to call the newspaper tomorrow. I'm going to get this put on the front page. I want everyone to know about your good deed. And the guy was kind of like, you know, I think, I think I'd kind of like to just remain anonymous. I don't, I don't want any recognition. I just want to kind of slip away. Because you see, um, the, the lady that's in my car is not my wife. And uh, so I just want to keep it on the down low. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of the true story. Right? I mean, anybody can generate a good deed now and again, right? But who are the consistent people, the blameless people who are making it right with God and with others? You know, Daniel was in good company. Noah was described as blameless. Job was described as blameless. Even David was described as blameless. And that's a key characteristic of this man, Daniel. But also I want you to see, beginning in verse 6, Daniel the praying man. All right, beginning in verse 6, Daniel the praying man. Watch this. <clears throat> then the high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. We are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees there three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And then the officials told the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, but makes his petition three times a day. Now here we see Daniel, the praying man. And there, there was a priority in Daniel's life. Prayer was a priority for Daniel. I mean, he, he had to have his time. Each day where he was seeking the face of God, 
pressing in for more of God, being intimate with God, seeking the Lord. That was, that was a priority for him. Now, honestly, if it was me facing these circumstances, I might say something like this. Well, you know, Lord, I mean, it's only 30 days. I mean, I'll just pull off to the side here for 30 days, and then I'll just circle back with you at the end of the month. How's that, Lord? Is that okay? Or I might have even said, well, okay, I'll pray, but I'm only going to pray at nighttime, maybe at like 1 o'clock in the morning when everyone else is asleep and nobody knows. But that wasn't Daniel. Daniel had a priority on prayer in his life. I mean, a massive priority. Look, Daniel knew at best he was going to lose his job. At worst, dude knew that he was going to probably lose his head. And yet he said, you know what? I would rather die. I would rather lose my job than to be deprived of this awesome experience of, of time with God. That's incredible when you think about it. Right? I mean, that, that's incredible. Da- Daniel was a man, a, a, a man of prayer, a praying man. Huge. We'll come back to that more in just a moment. But here's one other thing that was true of Daniel. Daniel was a lion tamer. Did you know that? Daniel was a lion tamer. Let's look in the scripture, beginning in verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the next morning the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish and said, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and before you, O king. So, of course, here's Daniel. The expectation was we're going to cast this dude into the lion's den and they're going to tear him limb from limb. By tomorrow morning, there will be nothing left of Daniel. Bones, skin, everything devoured. And yet you know what happened. Because of God's power in his life, Daniel went into the lion's den. He grabbed a fluffy lion as a pillow, laid down, took out his Old Testament, and he began reading between the lions. Come on, y'all. I know, I know that that's just a dad joke, but come on now. You've got to help me out here, okay? And, and, and then in the morning, Daniel said, here I am, king. They haven't harmed me. Yeah. See, the, the point is this, folks. The point is this. When you look at Daniel's life, you see results upon results upon results that defy human description, Right? I mean, you you cannot explain what's taking place in Daniel's life merely in human terms. God's hand was on Daniel. Now, here's the question, okay? Let's just step back for a big picture question here. The question is this. What was the relationship between Daniel, the praying man, and all of these awesome, incredible things taking place in his life, okay? Did he experience all of this power and all of this Uh, divine intervention in his life and then he decided to pray or was he a praying man and as a result there was an incredible incredible manifestation of God upon his life of course I I think we all know the answer if I understand my Bible the answer is obvious prayer precedes power prayer precedes intimacy with God prayer precedes 
God-sized results. See, the problem is, for many of us, we get the idea that prayer is all about us taking our requests to God and saying, God, I need you to do this, I need you to do this, I need this from you. And listen, there is nothing wrong with taking your needs to God. Amen? Absolutely. God encourages us. God says, call to me, and I will answer you. But listen to me, friends. Prayer is primarily about God doing something right here. A transformational work right here before he ever does anything out there. See? And so Daniel was a man that was transformed. The bottom line is, Daniel, the, the, the man of God, was a product of Daniel, the praying man. That was the secret to Daniel's sauce. I truly believe that the, the, the bedrock of his life was that he was a praying man. Now, that was not a secret to Daniel. Certainly wasn't a secret to the people around him, even though they didn't even believe in God, but they knew something was going on in Daniel's life and it was connected to prayer. And they, they knew that the only way they could get him was to get him to somehow contradict his prayer life, right? It was a no, no secret to us. It shouldn't be a secret to us that Daniel, the man of God, was primarily Daniel, the praying man. Now, that's the, that's the one side of our coin this morning. Daniel, the man of God. Here's the other side of the coin. Let's flip the coin over and let's talk for a moment about Crossgate, a praying church. Because we started this message with a very simple question, yet profound question, and that is this. Is Crossgate a church that prays, or is Crossgate a praying church? Uh, earlier in this series, I, I said to you, only a praying church will thrive in Babylon. And that's that, we're talking 2022, 2023 now, right? It, right here, right now in our Babylonian context, only a praying church will thrive in Babylon. You say, okay, Pastor Phil, I got that, but what are some of the marks of a praying church? You talk about Crossgate becoming a praying church, but what are some of the specific marks of a praying church? Well, I'm going to give you a couple right here to think about. The first of which is this, okay? Expressions of desperate dependence on God expressions of desperate dependence on God, that is one of the key marks of a praying church. Now let me ask you this question, a little Bible trivia. Might, might stump you on this. Why did Jesus have to pray? I mean, did Jesus even have to pray? I mean, he, you would think that God the Son would somehow have an osmotic, intuitive, you know, hotline to heaven, right, where he didn't even need to pray because he could just think God's thoughts and all the rest. And yet in the Bible, we see Jesus time and again pulling away from the crowds, pulling away from busy ministry, even pulling away from his disciples and going off all by himself to pray. Why? Let me, let me give you a verse that will blow your mind. Watch this. John 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. You see that? I mean, here's God the Father, here's God the Son, and yet God the Son says the Son can't do anything on His own except what He receives from the Father. To me, that gives a great indication of why Jesus got away and prayed. He had to pray. Now let me ask you this question. If God the Son had to break away for prayer. Who are we to think we can somehow skate by with a, with a shallow or even non-existent 
prayer life, right? I mean, think about what Jesus said. John chapter 15, famous passage. Watch this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what nothing is? It's a zero with the, with the edges knocked off. That's what you can do effectively for eternity apart from Jesus Christ and abiding in him. Look, 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 Jesus said, I've got to abide in the Father. I can't do anything apart from the Father. And guess what? You can't do anything apart from me. That sets the stage for expressions of desperate dependence on God in prayer. Now let's think about Daniel. Daniel prayed three times a day. Why did Daniel pray three times a day? Well, there's actually some some best practices that were established earlier in the Old Testament. I don't have time to go down that rabbit trail right now. But let me just tell you, just the street level, why I believe Daniel was so committed to prayer. One of the reasons. You know as I know that Daniel was one of the most successful, most gifted, most talented people in the entire Bible, right? I believe that Daniel's default, as it is the default with most people who are very successful, was to depend on himself and not on God. You see what I'm saying? Okay, because, because I look across our congregation. I see, success, I, I see a lot of successful people. I see people who are in key positions of leadership in organizations in, in Hot Springs, over in Little Rock, in other places. Some of you folks who were retired were at the absolute top of your field when you were still in the workplace. And all of that is one of the reasons why I believe Crossgate becoming a praying church is always going to be a challenge. Why? Listen, I'm being completely transparent with you. Typically successful, gifted people have a hard time depending on God when they can easily depend on themselves. And listen to me. Nothing screams self-dependence more than a shallow or non-existent prayer life. Nothing. And that's one of the reasons why Daniel, I believe, was so committed to prayer because he had to come back around multiple times a day and say, God, I need you. I've got to depend on your strength, God. I can't do this on my own. So there was a desperate dependence for God. That's one of the marks of a praying church. Second mark of a praying church, check it out. Priority of time and space to prayer. Priority of time and space to prayer. Now, we already talked about the fact that Daniel put a big priority on prayer in time and in space in his life. But what about a church? You know, there would be some things that I would look for. Let, let's say I was, I was helping another pastor to develop a, a, a culture of prayer in their church. One of the things that I would do is I would say, let me see your church calendar. Let me see your church weekly calendar. Let me see your yearly calendar. And let's kind of assess how much time and space you're devoting specifically to prayer at your church. Uh, I would look at the calendar. I would certainly assess the Sunday morning worship service. And I would say, okay, let's assess prayer during your Sunday morning worship service. Because quite frankly, the vast majority of churches on Sunday morning during worship, prayer is simply a transition. I'm not saying that it's not a meaningful time of prayer, but typically the only time you see people praying is when there's a transition from you know, song to welcome or welcome to song or sermon to dismissal. or it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a series of segues. Rarely do you see a church taking time to pray simply for the sake 
of prayer. And then, of course, I'd look at the space. What, what, what are the spatial priorities on your campus? Do you have a space dedicated to prayer? Those are some of the things that I would, that I would look for. But listen, prayer is not just about assessing the church. Prayer is about assessing the people. Where are they putting their time? Where's the foot traffic going when it's time to pray? You know, I, I love the story of the Canadian revival. Fifty years ago this fall, 1972, uh, a, a significant revival of the Christian faith swept across Canada. And it started in the town of Saskatoon in a church, led, a Baptist church led by a pastor named Bill McLeod. And Bill McLeod had a burden for prayer and, and, and a burden to lead his church to be a praying church. In fact, God came to Bill McLeod and he said, Bill, when the attendance at your Wednesday night prayer gathering exceeds the attendance of your Sunday morning worship, I'll send revival to the nation. And he did. There, there, there was a priority. There, there was a priority in time and space in his church on prayer, and God showed up. That's the second mark. But, but, but perhaps here's the third and biggest mark, and we certainly see this in Daniel's life, results that cannot be explained otherwise. Results that cannot be explained otherwise. We've already seen this in Daniel's life, whether it was the fact that, you know, Daniel chapter 1, here's all these other guys eating the, the, the best of the king's table while Daniel is on the Tom Brady diet, and yet Daniel turned out looking 10 times better and his friends than all these other dudes, right? But now we see this, this miraculous uh, just this, this unbelievable delivery in, in, the, in the, uh, the lion's den and all the rest. So what about in churches today? Are, are, are we seeing things that can only be explained by the power of God? You know, it was Manly Beasley Sr. Manly Beasley Jr. is actually the pastor of Hot Springs Baptist Church right here in Hot Springs. But his dad, back in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, was probably one of the most famous pastors and preachers and traveling evangelists and so forth uh, in, in the church. Uh, just a tremendous man of faith. But this is what Manley Beasley Sr. said. Check this out. Whenever there is a significant movement of God, someone somewhere has paid the price in prayer. Whenever there is a significant movement of God, someone somewhere has paid the price in prayer. Let me ask you this question. Think about the last five years of your life, five years. What would you say has taken place in your life or through your life, maybe as an, as an impact on someone else's life, but in the five, last five years, what has taken place that you could not in any way, shape, or form um, you know, attribute to your own abilities or to you know, some human explanation? Okay, let's think about our church, the last five years. What has happened in Crossgate Church and in, in the lives of some of the people in our church that that could not be explained in any, in any human terms whatsoever. Now, I, I'm sure God has done some things in your life as he's done some things in my life as he's done some things in our church, but I think we would all agree those are the rare exceptions rather than something that's, that's somewhat more normalized. Would you, would you want to be a part of a church? Would you want to see life change and life transformation to a degree that there's no way that you could explain it in human terms? You know, we, we celebrated um, uh, just a couple months ago, we celebrated the fact that we made budget this year, which, praise God, I mean, that's a wonderful blessing. I'm so grateful for the faithfulness of God's people. But folks, let's just, let's remind ourselves, even an atheist-run business can make budget, 
Okay? I mean, that's, that's, that's good, but I want to go from good to great. I, I, I would love to see some life transformation and continue to see life transformation and people being saved and, 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 and things taking place and, and marriages just unbelievably redeemed and, 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 and homes, broken homes brought back together in such a way that, that it could only be God. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to see. Now, here's the question. When we talk about a praying church, where does the rubber meet the road? I mean, we can talk about it all day long. I mean, everybody, there's no shortage of people talking about prayer in churches. Y'all know this. But what does it look like when the rubber meets the road and people actually begin to get engaged in meaningful, sustained prayer? Well, here's what I want to do for the rest of this message. I want to share with you five or six touch points, prayer touch points at Crossgate Church, some of which are currently in place, some of which will be in place. But I'm praying that God is stirring your heart as he stirred mine about the need for our church to be a praying church where we are truly depending on God, desperate for God. First touch point, we actually kicked this one off June of last year called the Prayer Partner Network. So when, when we came to Crossgate almost three years ago now, uh, assessing kind of where we were with prayer, I recognized that we did have a, a contingent of prayer warriors who were meeting and praying for our church, for God to do a, a, a wonderful thing in our church. But that was largely behind the scenes, and, and I would describe it as a small but very devoted group of prayer warriors. And I said, Lord, how, how do we get more people engaged in prayer, and how do we bring prayer out of, the, out of the, the, the backstage area and put it right here center stage on Sunday morning? And God led us to launch our prayer partner network. If, if, you're, if you've been around Crossgate Church more than a few weeks, you know how this works because we do it every week. Uh, during the worship time, uh, every Sunday morning for both services, we have a group of prayer partners that meet backstage and they're praying for the service. Okay? And then when it's time for the message, right before we start the message, I come up on the stage, I take a knee, the prayer partners come out, gather around me, we have a few moments of silent prayer, and then one of the prayer partners leads in a, in a time of specific, dedicated prayer. Uh, we also added our prayer benches here to our uh, edge of the platform last year in June as well, so people, if they wanted to, could come forward and, and kneel down and so forth uh, during prayer time or, or at other times. And I will tell you all, I, don't, I can't speak for you. I don't know what you're doing during pastor prayer time and, and the prayer network time, but I will tell you what I'm doing. I'm up here praying my heart out. I am absolutely praying my heart out, and I love the fact that we have this sustained time of prayer. In fact, I've gotten to the point now where if, if I had to get up and preach, and I didn't have that kind of prayer time prior to the message, I, I don't know if I'd be able to get up and preach. In fact, I spoke at a church in Georgia last month at an event they had there, and, uh, and of course, they didn't have the, the prayer partner network and all of that in place, and they said, well, now it's your time to get up. So I got up there, and I mean, I almost felt naked. I mean, really, there just was not this, this time of prayer that preceded the message. Uh, so it, it has been a massive blessing for me. I know it's been a massive blessing for many of our folks in the Prayer Partner Network. We have 12 or 13 different teams uh, in the Prayer Partner Network. So each group of people is only up here and engaged about one Sunday every three months. So it's not this massive time commitment, but it's a great start. So what's our next step with Prayer Partner Network? Okay. Next step with Prayer Partner Network is this. How do we maximize synergy between Prayer Partner Network and our life groups? 
Uh, so I got to give a huge shout out to the Gift Life Group. Gift is in the house. There, y'all, God bless y'all. The Gift Life Group came to us and they said, hey, we want to get our whole life group involved as a team at Prayer Partner Network. I said, I love it. Let's do it. And so on that given Sunday, uh, and I think that was just like two weeks ago, y'all, right? Last week or two weeks ago, uh, the entire Gift Life Group during both services was praying in the back, and then during the prayer partner time, they came out and prayed on the platform with me. I absolutely love that. But how do we maximize the synergy so that more life groups have an opportunity to, to pray together and be discipled together in prayer as a life group? So in the next several weeks, myself and Pastor Keith Caps, our Next Steps pastor, will be reaching out to our life group leaders and asking that same question. Hey, how can we maximize the synergy between your life group and prayer partner network? I cannot wait to have more and more opportunities to pray together with people of our church and press in for more of God in that way. So Prayer Partner Network is one of the touch points, the second of which is this, House of Prayer on Wednesday nights. We did a soft launch of House of Prayer on Wednesday nights uh, this past August. And really for this entire semester, we've been doing House of Prayer on Wednesday nights. House of Prayer on Wednesday nights starts at 6 p.m., goes to 625 right here in the worship center. Uh, we spend the first 10 minutes or so just in silence with the Lord. We've got a little soft music playing in the background. Otherwise, you simply come in, you sit in quiet, quiet your soul before the Lord, and then we spend about 15 minutes praying about different thematic things. And it's, there's a variety. Sometimes we'll have two or three pastors lead in prayer. Sometimes we'll have little prayer huddles across the worship center where people can gather in smaller groups and pray about a specific topic or what have you, we try to bring a little variety there, and then at 625, everybody takes off and goes to their Wednesday night activities. Again, very similar to Prayer Partner Network, I have been pleasantly surprised uh, with, with what God is even doing in my life during the house of prayer. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but I'm busy on Wednesdays, as I know you are as well. And so by the time I walk into that door, you know, at 6, 605, whatever, as I walk into that door and I hear that music playing, it's like, Oh, man, it feels so good. And I just, I leave it all at the door. I leave the busyness, I leave the calendar, I leave the noise, I leave everything at the door. And I just come in here and quiet my soul before the Lord. I, I so look forward to that time. And then, here's the other cool thing. Shara and I lead a parenting class on Wednesday nights, but many other people have different activities on Wednesday nights here on the campus. When you step out of House of Prayer and into your Wednesday night activities, they are that much better that much more meaningful, whatever those may be. Now, I got it. When we soft launched this thing, we realized that there were going to be some limitations that would prevent some of our folks from being able to attend House of Prayer. Uh, certainly the fact that people have to get off of work, certainly the fact that people need to eat their dinner. Uh, and, and as of right now, we don't have drop-off for our children on Wednesday nights until 6.15, so that would prevent some people from maximizing the whole time. Okay, And, and, and we're going to be working on that to broaden the aperture of accessibility for people uh, at House of Prayer. Okay, so the days are coming in the next several weeks, and certainly as we get into the new year, where we, where we want to see more people able to come. But I will tell you, we have a number of people on our campus who are not affected by any of those limitations, and yet they're here on Wednesday nights. And I want to if you're one of those people, I want to encourage you, join us in House of Prayer. I mean, this, this is a tremendous opportunity for us to take a giant leap toward being that praying church. Now, here's something else. Here's your third touch point. Talking about priority in time and space. Prayer room refresh. 
We do have a dedicated prayer room on our campus, and I praise God for that. It's right over here next to our elevator, right outside those doors, and it's been there since the building was, was built many years ago. Uh, but, but like a lot of places on our church, it needs a little refreshment. Uh, in the last couple of years, we've refreshed the loft area, we've refreshed the hangout for the students over here, downstairs, the room that's now currently called 180. We've refreshed that and some other places as well. Well, now it's time to give some love to the prayer room. And over the course of next month and into December, we're going to be refreshing that space, making it even more of a space that we can maximize for prayer. The reason being is because, here's the next touch point, House of Prayer Sunday morning. So starting in January, we're going to launch House of Prayer on Sunday morning from 8.30 to 9 in the prayer room. Again, a time for people to come if they are at all able to come to gather for prayer and specifically to pray for what's going on on Sunday morning, for the message, for the worship, for life groups, for our volunteers, for life transformation, just a, just a dedicated time of prayer on Sunday mornings. Again, if you look at the calendar of a church, you, you'll tell pretty quick if it's a praying church or not. At least it'll give you an idea, right? So we're not just putting things on the calendar just to put them on the calendar, but we're saying, God, how can we give our people an opportunity to collectively gather for prayer? Now, speaking of January, here's the last touch point. In January, 31 days of prayer, big kickoff for 2023. We're going to do five Sundays on prayer, teaching series, starting on January 1st, New Year's Day. Uh, we're going to have several other prayer touch points that are introduced uh, throughout that month, and then some that will remain in place beyond that month. Uh, but, but a huge touch point is coming up. Today, we're just kind of teeing that whole thing up in a sense. I'm just kind of throwing it out there and saying, hey, Stand by for January. It's going to be fantastic. But we've talked a lot about prayer today, haven't we? Talked a lot about prayer. Uh, and only a praying church will thrive in Babylon. Let me, let me close by saying this. Church, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, okay? I'm not trying to overstate things. But I truly believe that the future of our church hangs in the balance regarding whether or not we're going to be a praying church. I'm not, this is not an existential type of thing where it's whether we keep our doors open or closed. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the difference between the spiritual status quo, which is where the majority of churches are these days, and a church that unmistakably has the hand of God upon it. What's, what's the hinge point between those two? Prayer. A praying church. A desperate dependence on God, not on ourselves. A priority on prayer and time and space. And, and, and a movement of God that cannot be described in human terms. Not that, not that we ultimately pray so we can see results, but we ultimately pray so we say, God, we need more of you in our lives, more of you in our church. And so I ask you the question we ask every week, what's your next step? We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.